Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Camilla Donahue and I'm off to get my colours done. Joining me is author and Dalshi Harrison Ford of Like You Meet in Thailand, Aisha Malik. Hello. I just did the really Irish thing of saying Thailand. <laughs> That's okay. It's a weird thing that we do. Yeah, we don't we don't do that. We do Thailand. Oh you kind of you kind of pronounce the H too. Like yeah. the film thing. Phil- yeah. We have the film thing in common, right? Just sort of the many, many, <laughs> many similarities between Pakistani people and Irish people, exactly. which is the root of our friendship. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, today we're talking about Bridget Jones at the Edge of Reason, the sequel to Bridget Jones. And obviously you came here and did for our first season many years ago. Uh, you did the original Bridget Jones. And so it's very nice to be revisiting the second one with you. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Like what are we, what are our initial impressions on rereading this fantastic Fucking hilarious book. I was just going to ask whether I'm allowed to swear. Of course I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> I'm on sentimental garbage. We're a cool podcast. Yeah, man. Um, I fucking love the second book. And I love it more than the first one. And I I reread it a few times. But this time I listened to the Audible, which was um, really fun because I didn't actually feel like I had to do anything active mm-hmm. to take it all in. And I remember you saying last time that you actually read this book before you read the first one. Yes, I did. Yeah. I did actually, and I'd completely forgotten about that. So thanks for reminding me. Um, yeah, that's what made me read the first one. I, I just, I just love this book. But I found Bridget slightly annoying at times because she's so fucking thick. <laughs> she's so <laughs> fucking thick. She's so fucking stupid. <laughs> You kind of hate her and love her for it at the same time. Yeah, I feel like she is dumber in this book than the last one. Is it, that might be that might be the case, or maybe because we're older and perhaps wiser, her absolute lack of wisdom is uh, more pronounced. The thing is, is that when she's like a little thick, I love it so much. Like the thing when she doesn't know where Germany is. When, <laughs> when Tom bumps into Daniel Cleaver at a club and then he said, why are you so horrible to Bridget? And Daniel Cleaver says, how could I go out with someone who doesn't know where Germany is? I did in my head think, do I know where Germany <gasps> I is? Was just, I had such a Germany dysmorphia. I, was like... I had to, I had to Google just to make sure I knew, I knew the, you know, vague whereabouts of Germany. It was okay. It, it was, was we were okay. We all yeah, know it was it's okay. Yeah. Next to France. Yes. <laughs> and Switzerland somewhere in the mix. Um, but then when she, like, so that kind of thickness, I find cute. Very cute. Totally adorable. But then. The relationship thickness. Hard to manage, particularly in the opening chapters. Particularly when her two best friends are equally thick and yeah. give her really actually bad advice. It's quite hard. The bits where she was... Um, so it, the this book begins... Um, and actually, I'm just going to do a quick plot summary while we're here, um, just to get the business out of the way. 
The Edge of Reason picks up where Bridget Jones left off, with Bridget and Mark happily together and in love. However, Bridget's insecure addiction to self-help, as well as her scheming frenemy, Rebecca, quickly break Mark and Bridget up. Edge of Reason follows Bridget's adventures as she is locked up in a Thai prison, is sent death threats by her builder, and continues to be tortured by her parents and the smugged married, the smug marrieds of her life. Um, so yeah, we open and they're together and like, I think it's so cute the way it opens because she's staring at him so he'll wake up and ask her about her opinions. <laughs> because her opinions are so refined. I love how we never find out what her opinions are. <laughs> Just that Mark thinks they're very unique. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's very cute. And actually I love Mark Darcy in it. Yeah, he's more really so funny. than I thought I would. Yeah, yeah, he's... In a kind of way that's slightly unbelievable. Yes, it is very romantic hero. Like he's, his personality is saving legal, complicated legal situations that Bridget is in and talking about her in a nice way to people who aren't her that she yes. overhears. And also just popping up whenever she's in need. Yeah. Miraculously. Mirac- he, he's a very deus machinist. <laughs> yes, he is. His one like lone personality trait is being awkward at parties and liking Newcastle United. Yeah, That's which it. makes him human. Which makes him human. And I'm pretty sure that Helen Fielding's editor probably told her to stick something in to make him feel relatable. Yeah, less that- like just this papa. Yeah. So it's very cute when she's just like, you know, she's all loved up with him and stuff. But obviously, Bridget can't stay happy for very long because she's thick. She's thick and we need drama (laughs) because we're thick. Also. And and the whole opening, like, I'm going to say fifth of the book is just her um, putting two and two together and making 16,000. And then her friends encouraging her to... To that it is 16,000. Yeah. And then her destroying her relationship with Mark. And yeah. it's actually quite hard to watch. Yeah. It's, especially when you consider that she is a... What, how old is she in this? Like 33, 34? Yeah. You kind of have a feeling that someone at that age should have got their shit together a bit by this stage. Yeah. Yeah. Magda, on the other hand, is probably her only sensible friend. Yeah. Which is like annoying because it's that thing of like someone who, you know, the the married friend is the only person who has any lick of sense. Or she managed to get married because she has some sense. (laughs) Or that, Sorry. (laughs) But there's this thing when she like, um, you know, they go to 192, is that what it's called? Which, did you know what 192 was? I have no idea. So they're constantly talking about going to 192. And then I realized, I I did some research, it's a um, restaurant from the 90s uh, that was in Notting Hill that in the mid 90s was like super oh my god like Tom Cruise is here lots of celebrities like the original kind of she-she British restaurant and all that and then by the time this book is set which is I think 1998 seven Seven. oh because Diana I think it was starting to go out of fashion which is why Bridget's obviously obsessed with it oh I see I see and um, is it still is it still around no it closed Mm. yeah Sadly. Sadly. There was, there's lots of like Guardian odes to it. Oh, really? <laughs> which really shows you what mm. kind of market's left on mm. society. Um, but it's uh, them constantly in 192. And like there's a scene where she's like, oh, everything's great with Mark. He's lovely. He's lovely to me. I love him. And everyone's really annoyed uh, because obviously their whole thing as this urban family is that they're all single together. And then she goes, but... And then she mentions this tiny thing about him bumping into Rebecca and then they obviously blow that all out of proportion yeah. and then even though Rebecca is trying to steal him 
they kind of make her believe that Mark is willing to be stolen, you yeah. know? Yeah, they're really actually, when I read or listened to that bit, I was like, they're actually really bad friends. Yeah, I was really hating them for the first yes. sort of third. Yeah, I, me too. And then it, then somehow it Did saved it itself, didn't it, yeah. in some way or another, because they're also just thick. <laughs> and you know, yeah. you sometimes you just, you can't blame someone for being stupid. I know, and there's like this thing, <laughs> you certainly can't. <laughs> Um, yeah, write that down on a piece of paper and yes, keep it in my wallet. Very, very wise. <laughs> um, the the thing of like you're really frustrated with her friends at the beginning, and you really feel for Mark because he's like, I'm just trying to have a date with you, and you keep like taking phone calls to put out your friends' yeah. stupid dramas about their stupid boyfriends. Also, I was really annoyed about the bit where he's walking with Rebecca. They're yeah. in their um her beautiful country house. Yeah, and um. He starts complaining about these self-help books and her friends, and I got I got a bit prickly because I was like, "Don't yeah. don't complain about her friends. Yeah, they were there way before you were, love. Exactly. You know, and you don't have any friends. <laughs> yes, you don't have for obvious reasons. Because men in their thirties, terrible cold fish, terrible cold fish, and men in their thirties don't have friends. Oh, really? Is no, that a fact? That's a fact. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. It's really hard for them. They <laughs> have grim friendships. Um, but uh, then you're, you you spend the kind of first bit being quite annoyed by them. But then when Bridget goes through all that stuff, being in prison in Thailand and all that, you're like, oh, they do come through for her. And there's a reason they're so dependent on each other because they're all each other have. Yes, they're know? not malicious. Yeah. That's the nice thing. And um, yeah, they are. One thing I loved about Bridget, actually, even though she is irrevocably stupid, <laughs> Is that she's also incredibly kind. Yeah. And so empathetic and always there for people, for Giles. I love the for, Giles stuff. For the man who, you know, almost shoots her via a pen. Gary. Gary the, the builder. builder. You know, she's just always sees the best in people. And you know what? I feel like we need more of that. She's such a live, laugh, love hun. She, she is. Even when she's in the Thai prison, she's like, you know what? I'm just going to sing Madonna. Yeah. It's shit. I'm going to have a breakdown, but it will only last about 35 seconds. The thing is, she's so kind. And I really feel like because I've known her my whole life. Yes, she's our closest she's friend. She's our closest friend. And like, I feel like I'm defending her to like, not as a literary figure, but as a person that people are mean about. Yes. Um, like my dear friend. And I'm like... Yeah, she is thick as shit. <laughs> and she does destroy every relationship she has. And she's probably quite bad at her job. But she's so kind and she's so resilient. She is. She is. I was just, I was texting you at like midnight last night when I was finishing. I was like, I'm just so proud of Bridget for how she handled herself in the Thai prison. <laughs> yes, me too. I felt that her eternal optimism yeah. is something that we could all do with. Yeah. You know? I love the Thailand stuff so yeah, much. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's actually brilliant. Um, like the yeah, the whole thing is the whole book is you know it teeters on the slightly ridiculous side. You know, yeah. the, the boy that with the bunny in Mark Darcy's room and oh my god, let's just talk about. I'm sorry, we're jumping all around the place, but sorry, there's so much we're event. Not very, we're not being very linear with this, are we? <laughs> so. The first time she goes to Mark Darcy's house in Holland Park, which I can see so clearly with like every she's like, everything looks like a robot, everything's metal. <laughs> she can't find any light switches. <laughs> um, she goes upstairs and there's 
a young a young the son of his Filipino cleaner is foreshadowing there yeah (laughs) (laughs) Southeast Asia (laughs) there's a yeah there's a weird um ethnocentric vibe to this like like, with Wellington Wellington but we'll 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 get get to to Welly we'll get to Wellington (laughs) um so she, she in, in her the, the cleaner's son is sitting on the bed with a rabbit and some it, wooden is, balls. Is it dead or alive? The rabbit never never clarified. I oh, also no. wondered that. Mm. And she's like, "Oh no, of course Mark Darcy is a sex pest." And then she bolts from the house and doesn't take any of his calls and refuses to hear any reasoning. And then he just calls her like a day later and he's like, "I realize that it was upsetting for you, but I just had to talk down." <laughs> My cleaner. Whose son is schizophrenic. Whose son is apparently... And, like, we never hear about it again. No. I think he got rid of that housekeeper. <laughs> what was that about? It's such a weird thing do to you do. Think, do you think she, Helen Fielding was just trying to just be as outrageous as possible? Yeah. Because, I mean, there's a lot of outrageous stuff that happens. There's yeah. that. And then there's the whole Wellington coming to the UK and yeah. getting a jet ski and then going back to Africa. <laughs> I forget where in Africa. Kenya. Kenya. And then you've got the Gary the Builder leaving a hole in the wall. Yeah. And um, the rotting meat in the hole in the wall. And yeah. then you've got him sending her a bullet via a pen and with she, her name on it. She thinks it's a lipstick. Or an invite to a party. Which, by the way, is a really hilarious stream of consciousness. So funny when she finds it. Yeah, it's very funny. The whole book is actually hilarious. It's just so funny. And, like, if the thing is... It's it's just clever funny. It's It's not necessarily slapstick funny. And it is in parts, but slapstick funny. But it's just very clever about human foibles. Yes, and like yeah. how people really react to things, like the, th- the the slow dawning of the bullet thing of like, first you're thinking it's like some kind of a PR thing, because the thing is, you would. <laughs> if you're like a London media hun, which I am, and you are, <laughs> and I received like a weird sort of like thing like that. Yeah. And it was the late 90s, which is sort of the PR boom of like mental party invites. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, someone's this thought is, of me. This is nice. Hey, which, which literature festival sent this to me? Uh, maybe, it's that, maybe it's for that panel I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, it's very funny. The whole being shot with a pen. That's a bullet. It's just... But like, the thing is, is that... It's so obvious that Helen Fielding was just throwing all the plot spaghetti at the book wall. But she was she was just having she was fucking having fun. Yeah. She was like, you know what, my first book was a huge hit. I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want with the yeah. second one. And yeah. it worked. I'm just gonna plonk her in these mental situations. Yeah. Um and have her respond the way. It, it's a, it's that thing of when an author knows their character so well yeah. and yeah. they can put them anywhere in the world yeah. in any situation and they know exactly how they're going to react. Yeah. It's almost like Alan Partridge, it's like Steve Coogan knows Alan Partridge so well that he can put him in any sort of format yeah. and he just knows, knows, you know? Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's what the, what the sort of magic of the character is all about. But if it was just like and I'm some I I just wrote a sequel and they are so fucking difficult. It's they're the worst. You don't. Oh my god, you don't as well. As well, it's the, it's the second. The sequel is. 
I think the second book syndrome is a real thing. Second book syndrome is definitely a real thing. And but then sequel it, syndrome. Yeah, it's really difficult. Because you sit down to write and all you can think about is every single time you've ever heard someone say about a film or a book or whatever wasn't as good as the first one. Mm, every time. Every... I've heard it myself. <laughs> yeah. Said it myself. <laughs> Regularly. I am fucking went on blast about Sex and City 2 for two hours, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Um, and... You know, I uh, when I was writing high school, I'm sure you were the exact same. I was I would sit in front of my laptop every day, and I would say I would just think to myself like, okay, let's really boil down what it is people liked about the first one, and let me um sort of get the raw golden ore, the nugget of what that is, and let me exploit that in a different way with different stakes that are higher and better. <laughs> Easily done. Easily done. And I feel like in the nice possible way, Helen Fielding just kind of didn't overthink it. Like she was yeah, just kind of like, like I'm it. gonna have fun. Fuck it, I'm gonna throw a bunny in there, schizophrenic, a stint in Thailand prison. Yeah, random Kenyan guy. Yeah, yeah. Who really has no bearing on the plot, but is just kind of fair for a yeah. bit and then fucks well, off again. The thing is that when you're writing a sequel, you have to think about the character's emotional arc. How do they grow? Yeah. Because with the first book, presumably their growth has ended and you don't have to worry about it. And then mm. if you're writing a sequel, you've got to think about how they're... Yeah. So I think Wellington was there for a healthy dose of A, um, wisdom, but also commercialism. Because um, he pretends to be very wise, but in the end, he's actually just there to get a jet ski so he can go back to <laughs> Kenya and live the, live the high life. I love how it's like this... Um... You know, so Bridget's mother like Bridget's mother has to be doing something mental right yeah. so last book it was Julio 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 I love Bridget's mother she's fucking brilliant creation. she's so good she's such a great creation and like she was so well played in the movie as well that yes, like yes, she's perfectly. really yeah. just in my head forever now and mm. like we all know what it means when someone's a Bridget Jones mother yeah. you know it's so it's such a character of British middle classness yes. that's so easy to conjure um, but you know she had to do something crazy again so she goes to Kenya and she sort of <laughs> finds Wellington <laughs> and brings him back and the dad is like oh yeah Wellington's here <laughs> and Bridget's obviously really worried that it's like this incredibly exploitative relationship where um, white saviour complex yeah. you can't do that it's neo, neo-colonialist exactly. mother mother but then it's like this it's kind of great because it's this mutually exploitive relationship yes and I think this is what Helen Fielding is brilliant about she writes characters without judgement yeah she just writes them how they are yeah flaws and all like no one person is brilliant and flawless no one person is without prejudice yeah we're all just really fucking stupid and selfish and kind and empathetic and can be there for one another but we can also be really you know we can ruin relationships i just that's what she does so brilliantly it's so good as well because like she's she's almost like she's using that whole thing the white savior complex storyline and it's like quite a small subplot really yes, yeah. but this thing of like oh the wise kenyan tribe and they, like, <laughs> they keep referring to him as a tribesman and it's just so mental and then it's like 
he's using that idea to get his own sort of stuff yes. and it's and you don't blame him for it no. and the narrator doesn't judge him for no, it it's just no, like no. you know but that's why it's so brilliant because it doesn't set any she doesn't set anyone up as being particularly complete. noble yeah and, yeah and that's because that's just real life because people are generally have the ability to be great and also dicks yeah and wellington no exception <laughs> no exception <laughs> I think one of my favourite things about this book as well is that I feel like it really engages with the political context of 1997 yeah. much more than the first book did. Definitely. And it reminded me about a bit of Sue Townsend in that sense. Yeah. Really, yeah. Um, there was a feeling of I need to say something about the political context we're living in. Yeah. Um, yeah, that really comes across in the book. I, every... And just, just the way the social psyche is working as well with Diana's death and um, and the impact of that on yeah. Bridget coming back from Thailand. I know. Oh my God. Okay, so what do we talk about first? Diana and Thailand or the Labour election? Labour election. Okay, because Labour, we'll be Labour done quickly and yes. then we'll treat ourselves <laughs> to a nice splashy time with Thailand and Princess Diana's Precisely. death. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So every general election, somebody tweets this extract from The Edge of Reason, um, which is Bridget at this Law Society dinner with Darcy and all his friends. And they're all going, they're all mad Tories, obviously. And it's also the first time Bridget realises that Mark Darcy is a Tory. Brilliant. So good. She's so horrified, but so briefly. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean... Everyone has a right to their own political... Yeah, I just, I remember a few years ago with this like pearl clutching about, oh, you'd never shag a Tory. It's like everyone's shagged a Tory without realising. And also I think eventually everyone becomes a Tory. Seems like that's the, yeah, the path. Yeah, I think that yeah. seems, yeah. We all, we all start off as lefties and by your mid-30s, early 40s, maybe your mid, mid-40s, mid you're going to be going to be a raging Tory. Just are, are, you, are you heading that it. way? I know you've got a big birthday I'm coming up. I'm not ready up. to come out of the closet yet. <laughs> Um, so, uh, she's kind of losing her patience and she's trying to explain why she's labor and she's sort of like, it's this thing. And we've all been in the situation so much of when you're, uh, quite lefty and you're at a place where people are more centrist or more right of center or whatever. And uh, you're just like spouting these general things and you're like, uh, yeah. you know. You have to defend your political beliefs and then you realise that actually you don't have a very detailed knowledge <laughs> of your political beliefs. You're just in favour of general goodness. Niceness. <laughs> yeah. 
Just, just you know, just don't be a dick to people. Like, don't be give the homeless person a place to live. Is that really too much to ask? And it feels very like when you're with your own crowd, it feels like, yeah, we're all, these are very simple things. But the, the thing about, particularly young Tories, and I remember getting in this situation a few times as a younger person, a young Tory, because they're so rare and because everyone hates them, oh, they've yeah. really done their research. <laughs> Mm. And they're often like very good at doing the like you know well if you think about the this economic thing. downfall of blah blah yeah. blah and, and like, the sixty five percent increase in blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah. And which like yeah and you're just like increasingly uncomfortable and they're like well if you think about and they'll name some lefty politician and of the day what they're did, actually quite right wing and yeah. blah 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 and, and what did you think of blah blah's manifesto and you're like sorry who what now <laughs> i just would like everyone to eat lunch every day yeah. and i think that taxes should allow for that yes and i think we should have a nice nhs which allows for free health care and free education that- and you suddenly feel so naive and, and tiny so, and really stupid and bridget like and bridget like but then she gives this rant and it's, 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 I'm going to read from it now. Um, <clears throat> by the way, Prince Andrew's at this dinner, <laughs> which is mentioned so passingly. <laughs> oh, if only she knew. If only she knew. Um, uh, uh, honestly, off they went, off they went again, all showing off to each other. Eventually could stand it no longer. The point is you were supposed to vote for the principle of the thing, not the itsy bitsy detail about this percent and that percent. And it is perfectly obvious that Labour stands for the principle of sharing, kindness, gays, single mothers and Nelson Mandela as opposed to braying bossy men having affairs with everyone. Shag shag left, shag shag right and shag shag centre and going to the Ritz in Paris, then telling all the presenters off on the Today programme. I mean, that is fucking genius, isn't it? It's so good. She's actually hit upon a very poignant point, okay. which is we are so obsessed with details now yeah. that we miss the bigger picture. Bridget is very wise without realising. <laughs> very wise. Thick as shit, but also quite wise. But there's like, obviously it's why Darcy and, and Bridget should both be running the country together. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. They'd be such a He's power couple. detail oriented and she's just generally kind. Yeah. <laughs> Could do well. They could serve us well. Oh, it's so good. I love it so much. I love it so much. I, for- I always forget how much I love it until I read it again. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, now I know why I love it so much. And then when she finishes that rant and she's like, and she's like, nobody, she says something like, nobody told me to shut up or took the piss like a normal person would. They just all went back to a brief silence and then they resume what they were talking about. And she feels really stupid. And then afterwards, Darcy is ta- is with her and somebody else. And, and uh, I think he says to Rebecca, he's like, oh, she made us all look like a bunch of pricks. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, she did. Yeah, she did, because you are all a bunch of pricks. <laughs> a bunch of pricks. Yeah. Even though you're joining their ranks. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. Not Caroline, yet. I've got a way to go. I'll get there eventually, but not for a while. This is also where Rebecca makes her big debut. What do you think of Rebecca as a as a villain? Um, Rebecca is villain? amazing, isn't she? Because she basically is every frenemy one has ever had in mm. their life. Um, the agenda-driven, beautiful, oh. status-driven woman who just will throw digs at you. That jellyfish sting thing jellyfish has sting. never rung truer. Where it seems like a compliment, yeah, but actually it's just a backhanded way of telling you. Yeah, she's always calling her like vivacious. Yes. Like, oh, you're so full of life. You're so 
free spirit. So on the go. Yes. Yeah, you're just like a scatty, harebrained, bullshit artist. Which is true. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't have the right to say it, though. What I re- one of my favourite parts of the Rebecca storyline is like... When, when, she, when she, she ends up with Giles. <laughs> what? I felt really bad for Giles. For Giles. Um, but uh, there's this whole thing where she she's not content with just stealing Mark. She wants to kind of colonise her friends. With friends. Yes. It's like this really pointed thing. And I love when like Shazza just stands up for it. Yeah. Being like, no, we're not going to let her do that. And the way that like they just stop talking to June for a while because she invites Rebecca to her wedding. Yes. Because Bridget is the person that shouldn't be popular and shouldn't be loved. And yet she is just because she's so kind and nice. And yeah. the Rebecca's of the world she just can't handle it. That's it. It is the yeah. nice girls finish first book, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Nice little fantasy to live in. <laughs> <laughs> Only in fiction. Only in fiction. Um, let's talk about prison. <laughs> let's talk about prison. So they go to Thailand and I kind of like almost forgot it was coming because it's like Bridget moaning for ages that she's not going on holidays this year and like both her and Shaz are both single and they're like holding out because they both want to go on holidays with a boyfriend and then they last minute book these flights when they realise they have to go somewhere. And then they have this like time in Thailand taking mushrooms. <laughs> I love that whole thing of them taking mushrooms. I love it when she takes the mushrooms and she's like, I was so mesmerised by, my reflection. by <laughs> my reflection that I kept on forgetting that Shaz is having a suicidal meltdown. <laughs> It's just fucking brilliant. It's just them having like totally separate trips and like yeah. Chaz is on the bed just like arriving and she I just I just really I feel like I've read it so much that I was there. I can just see Bridget just sitting in front of the mirror. Just staring at herself. Just wondering how she came to look like such an angel. Yeah. yeah. And it's like the thing is it's like the thing about them getting drug mulled is it would so happen to me. Yeah. Everything they do, because like I kind, of, I I kind of forgot the plot machinations of what happens with Jed, the guy that Shaz is shagging, mm. and uh, then their their little beach hut gets broken into, all their stuff gets stolen. He's like, oh, you know, you can borrow a few hundred quid and have my luggage, and mm. they're very grateful to him. And then obviously he's sewn cocaine into the lining of it, <laughs> and it's like. Oh yeah, and of course, because it, it, of course it looks like a mule situation, especially if he's given them money as well. Yeah. Like we, when you kind of think of it as like a thriller plot storyline, it's actually very well plotted. Yeah. Um, and I would have totally fallen for every part of it. Yeah, yeah. And then she's just in a Thai prison for like 11 days. Yes, where she sings Madonna songs and has to swap her and is actually sexually abused by women. <laughs> yeah. And it's like... I actually quite enjoyed it because it was nice to feel someone touch me. Nice to feel touched? Yes. And I was like, you can put that in a book now, could you? I don't know. Even via a character's perspective, I don't think you could. I don't think you could put a lot of what Bridget says and does (laughs) in a book today, actually. Yeah. Like, it's very much of its time. It's of its time. It's of its time. Yeah. But yeah, when she sort of swap has to swap her jeans for a sarong to, <laughs> yeah, to she's prevent just being, her stuff. Yeah, yeah, prevent being. But I just like I'm just so proud of her because she really keeps it together. It's because of her eternal optimism. Her eternal optimism. Things will come right, and the if poem by Rudyard Kipling. Kipling. Rudyard Kipling. Kipling. Um, she's reads it every day, yeah, which I love. 
and yeah. which yeah which I actually got a bit teary when I was listening to it oh I imagine hearing it being read it was and the the woman who was um, doing Bridget's voice and all the other character voices as well actually Mm -hmm. was brilliant so it's worth a worth a listen worth a listen yeah and then like she's like the way her the kind of the consulate person who assigned her it's rubbish and she kind of has to sort of stimulate him into yeah. getting her out. Yeah. It's almost kind of a waste that Mark Darcy sort of saves her from the whole thing because she's doing really well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She, but she's just, she's not set up to be clever enough to get herself out of it. No, that's she? true. Um, and bridge. Then she, she, um, she gets loose. She comes home and I just, I find it really moving all the um, sort of the friendship stuff that happens there. Yeah, because like, yeah. That's when they redeem themselves. They really do. How shit they were in the beginning. Just the idea of like coming home from like an ordeal like that and like your friends have changed your sheets and put flowers out and like yeah. stuffed the fridge with yeah. milk tray. Yeah. I tried to bring milk tray today, but... I got celebrations. I, I, I brought celebrations instead. Yes. It's just as good. Milk tray is such a love language in the Bridget Joan universe, isn't it? It is. It, it really is. is. And then she's all set for the papers to come out with her. With her interview. Yeah. And then Princess Di dies. And at first it's quite funny because obviously we're, it's been so long since Diana died. It's almost like a punchline in yeah. itself as a, as a global event. And you're like, oh, oh, it would be the day that Diana dies that Bridget's going to be in the paper. Yeah. But then actually the narrative really surrenders to mourning Diana. Yeah, and it does it really in a way that's not twee. Yeah. Or saccharine, but just does it really, it just does it really, really well, melding that comedy with this poignancy, this national grieving, and her personal grieving as well. And you really, like, you, I really, I responded to it as a reader. You really yeah. responded to it. It and felt that, really authentic. Yeah, and that that word that I think we, we both agree should be brought back, how how this going to um, lay flowers down for someone who you don't actually know yeah. is pretty naff, yeah. but also actually really the thing that you want to do because it just feels right. Yes. Even though it's 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 like jumping on a bandwagon, but at the same time you have your personal reasons for it. And reading her struggle with that is so good. Yeah. And it's like really this thing that we've all experienced, but I've never actually read about before. This thing of um the, the line is, is it good is it normal good thing to do or just weird? <laughs> yeah. 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 Or just or or or, or naff, naff or something. Yeah. yeah. Like Helen Fielding always has such a good compass for what's naff. Yeah, she's She's so clever with that because I felt that way when we did the NHS clapping. Yeah. I kind of felt like I didn't want to do it because it's a bit naff and like, what does it actually mean? But then also doing it was really nice because everyone on the street, I was staying with my mum at this time, everyone on our street would come out and we'd all wave to one another and my mum would get her little drum out and bang that. It was was nice at the same time, but it it was was also slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. And yeah. Helen Fielding plays with that really well. She really does. And like the whole sort of tussle with the self and the way you... Um, there's a line where she's like, why do I live in a capital city if not to participate in these outpourings of national feeling? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I've felt that so many times when various things have happened in yeah. London, whether it's a protest or... Yeah, yeah and there's, I, I really welled up when she goes and um, she brings... Copy of Vogue. Yeah. 
And what else? Orange. A chocolate, a chocolate orange. orange. Caroline, by the way, listeners, is now tearing up in my living room. I'm not quite sure what to do. <laughs> You're so uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable with this, with this display of emotion. She's being so Irish right now. And me counter to my Pakistani heritage and being very English. <laughs> no, okay. It's, it's, because the way she says it's like, oh, they were they ran out of flowers, but so I bought her Vogue instead. And then because she quite liked Vogue. Yeah, because she quite liked Vogue. And it's this thing of like she really feels like she knows her. And the way she talks about her in her diary is very like, um, she kind of says like, oh, you know, we, we, we weren't good enough for her, which is the sort of like very Englishy yes, kind yes. of, oh, our, our fallen angel. <laughs> but then she's, you know, she's very much like she she really talks about what it meant to be a woman in your 30s who was single and then to have Princess Diana to be in her 30s and a single mother yeah, yeah. And, and dating Dodie and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and there's this line where she says, you know, Diana understood that your life isn't supposed to be a fairy tale and she sorted out her own problems and yeah. you really get this sense of this yes. patron saintage that makes total sense. Yeah, it was it was very affecting and um, it was really well written and really well done and you just love Bridget more for it. Yeah. Yeah, and you miss Diana for it as well. Yeah, I was too young when she died really and, you know, too Irish to care that much. <laughs> but I really cared this time around. <laughs> there we are. I was going to read a quote from that passage, but I think I'd cry again and you'd get uncomfortable. <laughs> but don't, do, don't, do don't, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've come off this like podcasting series with Dolly where she's really pulling it out of me and she's really encouraging it. She's a pervert for tears and now I'm here and you're like, stop cut it. That, cut that emotion. Cut right that out shit out, Caroline. <laughs> don't deal with that. Okay, can I say one line that I like? Yes, go on then. Okay, it's very short. Where they're talking about all these unlikely things that have happened because Rebecca and Giles have got together and it's a couple of days after the funeral for Lady Di and uh, she's like, bats will start eating the sun. I expanded. <laughs> Horses will be born with tails on their heads and cubes of frozen urine will land on our roof terrace offering us cigarettes. <laughs> and then Sha and then Sha says, and Princess Diana is dead. Oh. <laughs> That is brilliant timing. That is brilliant. Brilliant timing. She's a fucking genius. Oh, she's so good. She's so good. Because <sighs> the thing is, I've been doing this podcast for a while now, as you know. I haven't been here at the very beginning. Um, and I've kind of built up this thing in my head because there are so many overlooked female authors in this genre. And I'm like, you know what? Helen Fielding was great, but there are lots of people who were as good as her. They just didn't get the attention because Helen Fielding had this huge profile with her journalism and blah, 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 blah. Who, who might that be? Can here's you think a, of anyone? Here's the thing, I'm wrong. <laughs> there we are. Here's the thing, I'm fucking wrong. She's, she's yeah, the queen. Yeah, she's actually the queen. And every time I read Bridget Jones, um, and it's on a regular basis, right? I just remember that why she's the queen. Yeah. Because no one gets it as astutely as her. I just think her and Sue Townsend are the, the oh greatest God. female. No, 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 female. What the fuck are we talking? They're the greatest yes. comic novelists yeah. of the last hundred years. Like it's like Wodehouse, yeah. yes. Muriel Spark, Townsend. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's it. It's so per and the thing is like getting back into this book and I, I, I've read the first book a lot but I haven't read this one that much mm. so it was really refreshing to have bits I wasn't as familiar with um, being 
on like page one of this book and being right back in the tone of how the very particular way that Bridget writes to herself yeah. of like referring to herself as one and like must do this, must do better. But it's like so specific and it's, it's impossible to imitate even though it seems yes. like it would be easy to, yeah. you know? Yeah. I also, I just by the by, I love the fact that she's only nine stones and three pounds and thinks that she needs to lose 20 pounds. Oh. That kind of actually made me a little bit sick. Yeah. It really sucks. Yeah. It's the only thing I don't like about these books. Mm. Because the thing is that she smokes a lot and she drinks a lot. She smokes more than I do and she drinks more than I do. But I, those... Numbers never affect me, but when I see nine stone two and then brackets ah, I'm like I haven't been nine stone since I was eleven. I you was because I always remembered Bridget to actually be a little bit fat. So when I read yeah those figures and this was a while ago, I was like, what? I was like, what? This is every time it's a shock, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It must be even worse when you're thick thighs are in now. So <laughs> yeah, I know. Hooray for that. That's another thing. Like reading this and and books like it where that are set in this time period. Where it's, she's a people always talking about like pert little bottoms no and one like wants a pert little bottom. Yeah, snooker ball arse. No. Like nobody wants a snooker no, ball arse. No. The wider the better. Yeah, I'm so glad that we're living in an era of big arses. Although having said that, most people who like big arses also want really teeny tiny Kim Kardashian waists. But we well, won't we won't talk about we that. We don't talk about them. Yeah. They have no place on this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh. I feel like I should have had a notebook when I was reading or listening to it because there was so... so... Oh my God, we haven't even talked about Colin Firth. Can you... Oh, the Colin Firth interview, which via Audible, by the way, went on forever. And I am and I actually got annoyed with Bridget. I was like, come the fuck on, Bridget. Sort your shit out. How did she do Colin Firth's voice? Just part uh, voice? Yeah, basically Mr. Darcy. Oh my god! Yeah. I, oh my god! So it goes on for pages and pages <laughs> for so, so long. It was very funny, and it's also as a journalist, as someone who's like done celebrity interviews, it actually it really tracks how it gets set up. Like she really pays attention oh, really? to detail. Oh, well, she's Helen Fielding was a journalist as well, yeah, so yeah. she knew the dynamics of how that would. That thing of like um, the independent, like she basically she gets it through a friend of Tom's, right? So yes. it's a friend of a friend, as all journalism works, and then. Some other friend of a friend worked with Colin on Fever Pitch and so they kind of get in as long as she agrees not to be paid. <laughs> Classic. And and they fly her to Rome, which, which that would never happen now because publishing budgets. And she fannies about not writing up the interview she for so miss, long. She misses the flight. She misses the flight first. She's such a dick, isn't she? <laughs> I got annoyed with her. I was like, get your shit together, Bridget. Oh, God. Just do your job. Get your get your life together. I hate anything that's racing against the clock in oh film. God, it really... Yeah. Oh, just... I, I can't... I can't stand Very it. Very difficult. It's my, my pet peeve. People who are always late. Yeah, I can't stand it. Yeah. And people always expect me to be late and then they fuck around with me. <laughs> Lateness. Why, why would they do that? I, I think they think because Irish people are flaky. <laughs> <laughs> There's a there's a stereotype for you, <laughs> which we are, but, but I'm very on time. Same for Pakistanis, right? We're always late. Is that a thing? Yes, it's a proper thing. Oh, Pakistanis, it's a Pakistani wedding, so it says six, but we'll get there for eight. Oh my god! Yeah. Another thing we have in common. Another thing. Look at all these things we keep finding. We should write out. a book together. <laughs> we should aim at two very specific demographics. <laughs> People would love it. People would love it. Um, but the thing where. I, I, have you interviewed people before? Have you ever done journalism? I, I, really? No, not really. I've chaired events, but that's not the same thing. But there is the thing where, like, 
every interview you've ever read in a magazine and where it's like, haha, and you know, Colin gestures to the waiter and we smile at each other and all this. This thing, because all journalists are fundamentally nerds who want to be liked. Everyone constructs a profile as if... There's a sweeping statement yeah. for you all. <laughs> <laughs> and I can say this because I used to be one. All journalists are nerds who desperately want to be liked, especially n- journalists who interview people. <laughs> it's like, unless they're the 2% of like people who are like chasing down politicians in Westminster trying to get like the facts on the stories. Right. We just want celebrities to fall in love with us. And you can hear me doing many versions of that on this podcast. <laughs> Go back and listen to my Rose McGowan episode. <laughs> um, but you, everyone constructs their profile as if it's like, oh, here's my great friend, Judy Dench. And we just got on like a house on fire and her cheeky laugh and all this. And she laughs at my jokes and blah, blah. But the reality is that everyone's raw file, raw transcript actually reads almost exactly like her interview. Oh, really? Okay, maybe no one asks, you know, Colin Firth what his favorite <laughs> color is. Shocking. But the way she opens every subject with, um, do you know, do you know BBC Pride and Prejudice? And do, do you know Fever Pitch? Every to- every project she asks him about, she says, do you know? <laughs> she, that, that is a great scene, isn't it? It's so funny. It's so funny. And she just keeps asking him about the That's scene this... where she jumps in the lake. Yeah. In BBC Pride and Prejudice. And how... I don't didn't find it believable that they would print the transcript, though, in the independent. Yeah. That was kind of slightly far-fetched. But then, remember a few years ago when, uh, I think it was OK or Now magazine or one of them, um, they interviewed Jenna Collins about her book and the PR hadn't supplied the book to... If you, do you remember no, that? No, no, no. So no, the PR know. hadn't supplied the book to the journalist and the journalist kind of came in being like, Hi, Gemma. Haven't read the book. Didn't get it in time. Let's talk about your career. And Jim Collins was really offended by this and just sort of like chewed it up and spat him out. And they printed the whole transcript <laughs> because it was so mental. Yeah, that's brilliant. Oh, well, I guess it does happen. I guess it happens sometimes yeah. when it's very, very funny, which yeah. this was. Yeah, this was. This was very funny. Although at one point I was like, "You are an actual idiot, Bridget Jones, an actual idiot." I love though how like obviously Helen Fielding is clearly a fan of Colin Firth because she wrote him to be so dreamy. Yes. When he actually appears in the text. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that she's the one who got him to be in the film? I don't know. Because I remember on the Edge of Reason film DVD extras, there yes. was uh, but it was very much like Mark Darcy went home and Colin Firth stayed behind and they they made Bridget interview him. Oh right. It's it's a shit film, isn't it? The it's, second one. It's shit. It's yeah. so, the first one's brilliant. Work of art. Work of art. And I actually have a lot of affection for the third one. Oh yeah, the third one wasn't bad. I didn't yeah. love it as I didn't love it like I loved the first one, but it, it was yeah. it was it was best than the second one. It felt very Mamia, here we go again. Like yes. it's very much for the fans. It's a fun yes. time. It's a bit more um fancier and glossier than the yeah. first movie. Yeah. yeah. But like yeah. Um, But yeah, I can't remember we've gone off topic. Are you too hungry and you want to go to lunch? Well, kind of. <laughs> a little bit that a little bit still fancy Colin Firth. Still. Still, yeah. Even though he's now just quite hundred Yeah, basically quite old. <laughs> quite like old men then. I think this is a different conversation now. <laughs> There's Stop. one thing I wanna talk about because I sent it to you in a voice note last night and then you didn't respond very rudely. Oh oh yeah, sorry, what was that again? <laughs> Um, oh yes the Richard Curtis thing okay so 
As eagle-eyed fans will know, Helen Fielding is the godparent, godmother of Scarlett Curtis, Richard Curtis's daughter. Hello, Scarlett, if you listen. <laughs> this feels like the kind of podcast you would listen to. You seem like a cool girl. Um, and in the book, Bridget's goddaughter is Constance, who's three. Now, I did the maths. <laughs> <laughs> she was very serious about this. I went and I looked at, at when when she would have written this, which would have been 96. or No, no, no. no she would have written in 98, right? Oh, yeah. If it's set in 97. Yeah, yeah. And it came out in 99. Right. So... Scarlet Curtis was born in 95. So Scarlet would have been the same age as Constance, this figure in the book, who's three. So we can safely assume. <laughs> safely assume. <laughs> just like every author writes the main character I as know. themselves. It's so horrible because I have to go with people when they think that my characters <laughs> are from life. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, Constance is Scarlet Curtis. <laughs> But she's, Helen Fielding, did she say that Shazza was based on a friend of hers, didn't she? I'm pretty sure I, I read that somewhere. I know that from somewhere. Oh. Yeah. I believe that, yeah. Um, but I don't think Helen Fielding and Richard Curtis talk anymore. They fell <gasps> out. Yes. How do you know that? Because I, I don't know, I read it somewhere, I was listening to a podcast or something like that, but they they fell out over after the second film. Oh no. Yeah, I'm really sorry to tell you that. Oh, so. Helen and Scarlett are still close. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry to break your heart. Don't start crying well, again. When I, when I walked in here today, one of the first things you said to me was, friendship groups aren't a thing. Friendship groups are not a thing. <laughs> They're not a thing. They don't last. They have an expiry date. Yeah. You show me one friendship group from teens or their 20s who have lasted. Yeah for the decade without without massively resenting one another yes exactly i just i just don't believe it maybe <laughs> i just don't believe it i agree i like yeah. it yeah. as someone who has very little contact with most of the childhood friends i'm i don't have any childhood friends my well, you're very have, old I, I also i don't have many friends so that might have something to do with it i'm your friend <laughs> <laughs> okay we're gonna wrap up but do we have anything left to say about the edge of reason the... It's brilliant. If you haven't read it, read it. What's your favourite joke? My favourite? There are so many, but yeah. although the, the Oxfam joke where she starts throwing away her self-help books. The <gasps> oh screenshot my God. you sent me yesterday. I, when I listened to that, I actually was lolling for ages. It was so funny. I, shall, we, shall I read it out? Yeah. The paragraph. Yeah, I think I screen grabbed it and sent you last night. You did. Um, so she, in a fit of um, trying to... Um, find a sense of self mm-hmm. and um, not let self-help books ruin her relationships. Bridget Jones decides to throw all her self-help books away and give, yeah. So she says, right, all going in the bin plus the other 32, oh God though, cannot bear to throw out the road less travelled and you can heal your life. Where else is one to turn for spiritual guidance to deal with problems of modern age if not self-help books? Islam, obviously, Bridget. <laughs> also, maybe should give to Oxfam, but no, must not ruin relationships of others, especially in third world. Would be worse than behaviour of tobacco giants. <laughs> That's fucking it's brilliant. such a funny image. <laughs> I can't so handle it. <laughs> it's 
It's so funny. The idea mm. of like women in like Sudan or something just picking up women from our from Mars, men, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, yeah. and just destroying their relationships because Bridget gave them to Oxfam. <laughs> I mean, she's so fucking thick, isn't she? <laughs> Oh, but hilarious. She's so good. She's so good. Oh. Do you know people were quite mean about this book when it came out? Were they? Well, no. I read a piece in, I think it was The Guardian from the time, of being like, oh, basically being like, aren't we all so fucking sick of this annoying marketing campaign? And apparently, and I find this very glamorous, there was silk cut handed out at the launch party. Ooh. I find that so hot. That is very sexy. Love that. Yeah. It wouldn't happen now, though, would it? No, absolutely. Anything being handed out at a launch party that isn't a fucking sticker and a proof. Or a tote bag. <laughs> or, woof. <laughs> okay. I've been carrying on who? You've been H. Malik. I have been. Uh, tell me about your stuff so these people can buy it. Oh, um, so I wrote a Muslim Bridget Jones. Mm-hmm. Not as funny as Helen Fielding. Oh, just as funny. <laughs> well, well, I mean... There's a different kind of hole in the wall in, in that There is one. a different... Which is why I enjoyed the hole in the wall in this book so yeah. much. Um... And also have written a couple of children's books now. There's My one, latest one very is... Very beautiful one in front of me. Seven Sisters out last week. Um, oh, it's gorgeous. And each of the characters are named after a niece or a godchild. You see, Lola, my, my goddaughter, is the minority in it because she's the only white, white girl. There she <gasps> I is. see her with her bob. <laughs> <laughs> her sensible bob. Um... And um, my last book was This Green and Pleasant Land. Which is so good. Thank you. Another hole, but not in the wall. In the ground. You love holes! I do love holes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, um, This Green and Pleasant Land, very, very good book about a... Very funny book as well, about um, a, a young Muslim man who has a crisis of identity and then tries to buy a, tries to build a mosque in his conservative British town. Yes. So good. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's all I've done. Yeah, and you've got a new one coming, I think. Yes, The Movement, which isn't out until next year. But everyone look out for it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's all about shutting the fuck up. Yes, it is about shutting the fuck up. And I remember when you were researching for that, you shut the fuck up for a month, right? A week. A month. Okay, (laughs) which taken it a bit far, love. (laughs) Yes, I did. I went silent for a week to see how it would feel to not converse with anyone or communicate verbally with anyone. It was great, actually. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, actually. Yeah, you were really tempting fate there, weren't you? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, all right, well, that's lots of things for everyone to look out for and to buy. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to talk about Bridget Jones. Always. Let's have lunch. Okay. At 192. <laughs> This has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me about the podcast at sentimentalpod at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thank you to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the artwork, and Hannah Varro for the mixing. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.